Ho, 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 Merry Christmas or Merry Christmas Eve and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me on this most special of eves, my wonderful co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Ho, 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 Darren. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm very good, thanks. Are, are we keeping that terrible theme tune? <laughs> Um, what you mean the one that you recorded specifically yourself <laughs> yeah the one i worked so hard on you worked so, <laughs> spent literally seconds on yeah. yes yes we are going to be using that theme song um but yes it, it is christmas eve this is going out christmas eve obviously we are recording this live so listeners you can take solace that myself and andrew are here on on christmas eve recording for your listening pleasure and we managed to strong arm a fantastic guest into joining us he's a guest that we've talked about on the show several times we've referenced his work he's arguably one of the greatest pop culture critics working today um some of his articles we talked about like when we talked about the snyder's cut and he's one of those guests that i was very embarrassed to come on this stupid podcast it is from the from the hollywood reporter from various reputable news sources the wonderful richard newby how are you richard hey thank you thank you for having me thank you for that great intro (laughs) (laughs) no it's it's all entirely fair um so obviously when i got in touch with you and asked you if you want to come on um, we send a list of all the movies that we have yet to cover on both lists, the top 250, the bottom 100, and we ask guests to kind of, if there's anything that's jumping out at you that you want to talk about, and I think you got back quite quickly uh, with a movie that I hadn't removed from the list yet and felt very embarrassed <laughs> about, but then when I removed that from the list, uh, you said, would I like to talk about The Life of Brian? What was it about The Life of Brian that's like, yeah, that's the movie from that selection that I want to talk about? Um, so it's actually, it's a movie that um, I saw when I was in high school um, like funny enough, it's like my my now wife. Uh, we started dating uh, in high school. She lent me. I'd never seen. Uh, I'd only seen Holy Grail, and so she asked me if I had seen. We were friends before. She asked me if I had seen uh, Life of Brian or Meaning of Life, and I was like, No, I've never seen those. She's like, Oh, you gotta watch them. So she like lent them to me uh, over Christmas break. I watched them, uh, and then when I returned them to her uh, after school, I asked her out. Uh, so yeah, so here we are. Uh, 14 years hey. later. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Wow. So, so this obviously has a very strong emotional attachment to you. Yeah, yeah. Of, is it for both of you? Do you go back and watch this as a, as a couple? Or is it just like you, you kind of think about it in that way and then when you talk about it, you talk about yeah, it? Yeah, I just kind of think about it in that way. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. And I guess like not not to jump too far ahead, but it, you said you'd seen the Holy Grail before this. Yeah. Um, and obviously you you I presume you saw the meaning of life after this. Yeah. How do how do you feel with Monty Python? What's your kind of Monty Python experience? And like, is this the best thing that they've done? Do you think? Yeah. So, um, you know, I I didn't watch any of the 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 shows or anything like that. So like, my familiarity was mostly like Holy Grail in middle school, um, and I had an art teacher who like would put it on all the time when we were supposed to be like taking art classes, and she was. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. <laughs> so we saw I saw it like throughout middle school several times. And I don't think that it all landed for me at the time. I didn't really, like, get the sense of humor, um, you know, and exactly, like, what they were doing. And so I think it was, like, when I was in high school, like, I finally, like, it clicked for me. I think it's just, like, a, it was a very different style of humor than what I was what I was used to, you know, at, at, at 13, 14. Um, but, um, yeah, this Life of Brian is probably my favorite um, of their of their three um, I really like the the meaning of life as well. Holy Grail is still probably like 
my last one, which I know like that's the one that everybody like loves the most and always references, but it's probably like the bottom of like those three. But Life of Brian is my it's my top one for sure. And can I ask like, again, as as listeners may have gauged from your accent, which is very different from my accent, um, but like <laughs> you're, you're an American, <laughs> very different. I do not at all sound like an American, despite the fact <laughs> I live in Ireland. But obviously, like myself and Andrew will talk about this in a moment. We're Irish. We presume like, well, certainly I grew up watching Monty Python on television as like an export from the UK. What was it like in, in the US? Like, were you at all, before your art teacher stuck it on, did you know who these people were? Or like, what is the sense of humor different? Was there a cultural translation at play getting kind of Monty Python over in the States? Yeah, um, I definitely seen John Cleese and things, but I did not know about Monty Python until middle school and, and the Holy Grail. But yeah, I think, you know, the sense of humor is just like, I I don't know exactly like how to describe it, but like it just, you know, at at the time I feel like, you know, the sense of humor of what I was used to watching was like SNL and like the Apatow stuff where it's like very heavily like, I think, you know, it's, it's very like social perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that like, it's very like relationship based, I think I'd say, um, and this is, you know, it's it feels, I think, more political, I think, in, in, in some ways. It feels more, I guess it, it's less, I, I think I'd say it, it feels broader. Um, it, you know, it feels less based on, like, here's a particular, you know, relationship between people that we're kind of, like, using as jokes and more of, like, this is a joke about, like, a wider culture or society. It's it's not topical either, really. Not yeah. directly. Like the, the which which is a, a nice thing about um, about uh, Python, as opposed to say um, Saturday Night Live, which you mentioned, is that it, it's um, like Saturday Night Live. Some sketches are you know evergreen, um, but many more like the the context just becomes completely lost, you know. Yeah. Um because the joke depends on on you having read the paper that week. Yeah. Or being on Twitter. Or or even like going past like Jared Ford being referenced by Jeffrey Chase and all this sort of stuff where it's very it is very anchored mm-hmm. in yeah. like throughout the 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 show's history. But uh, yes, Andrew is our comedy expert here actually. Andrew <laughs> is I don't know about See, that. Look, it's, well, no, yeah, of, of the two of us, you're the one with the deeper grounding in comedy. You're the one who took of, a comedy world tour, a literal comedy. Of world. the two of us, I'm the one with with, with a sense of humor, with, without expertise. So, I, so, 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 I guess by by default, I'll, I'll take whatever expertise <laughs> you don't. Um, so, but um, no, I was just going to ask Andrew, what about yourself? Like your experience with Monty Python and with this film in in particular? Do you remember the first time you saw it? Was it your first Monty Python thing? How did you come to it? So I would have been quite young. I think when I saw this, um, I can't, I'm not certain I can remember a time when. You hadn't seen it or before you'd seen it? Yeah, but, but if, if I'm, if I'm being, if I'm being realistic, it was probably like 11 or 12, I'd say. Um, and I remember being quite young and hearing some, like a, a man in their like forties or fifties whistling the team tune, or no, their 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 mobile phone went off, oh. and it had the Monty Python team tune, and I knew what it was, and I couldn't have been too old when that happened, but realistically, I I, I think it was one of those Nokia ones, 
Okay, so, so it was so. around the time that it could actually play music as opposed to the the, the kind of electronic uh, synth. I'm not sure whether it was the the whether it was Welcome like the cultural archaeology, the, the first generation of music, or whether or whether it was the 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 um, the old like electronic ones. Um, oh, like the beep 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 beep. Yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. Whether it was like. Yeah, yeah. Or whether it was the full orchestra or whatever. Um, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing I was youngish anyway, either kind of like early to mid teens. Yeah. I, I remember like, again, I, I don't remember a time when I didn't know Monty Python. I think I knew Cleese before I knew the others because Cleese was the one who was arguably most famous immediately afterwards. Yeah. I think obviously I knew Gilliam because I was a big fan of Brazil, but I don't think I put him and Python together, uh, for like decades because he was never... A usually famous one in front of the camera. He was the guy who did the animations and such. Well, um, but yeah, I, I guess it's interesting because Faulty Towers was probably more available to us on account of it just being a broader show, like a, a very kind of traditional sitcom. Sitcom um, with, with as, established characters, the kind of like re- relationship humor that Richard was mentioning there. Exactly. Yeah. Like 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 the the um the kind of thing that like everybody from young to old would watch and that it doesn't depend on and there's very few of them <laughs> um so yeah. so it that's do- it there's only 12 of them you watch them in an <laughs> afternoon you watch all of faulty towers in an afternoon exactly so it doesn't depend on your fandom or your goodwill <laughs> whether yeah. you're going to enjoy it or not versus monty python where like the knock on monty python is that there is there are there are hilarious sketches and then there is the other 90 percent there's there's a lot of white noise yeah well but Um, i'm I'm not sure i agree on that with with that even like watching uh life of brian it was even funnier than i remembered in the sense that like there is just so full of jokes um it is I mean, just to, again, just worth running down a little bit of context on this. Obviously, this is the second feature film from Monty Python. Uh, the Monty Python creative team came together. Uh, Jones, Terry Jones and Michael Palin met at Oxford. They worked in the Oxford Review. Uh, Graham Chapman and John Cleese met at the Cambridge Union. Idol also studied at Cambridge the year under them. And then Cleese met Gilliam in New York City. And they kind of put together um, some sort of, I think it's the Cambridge Circus is what they originally called it. Got into television together. Uh, then Cleese left the group. Uh, they broke up. They stopped making TV shows. They got together to make a film, which is The Holy Grail, which is also on the 250. We'll talk about that one entirely separately. Um, but basically the, the outcome of that was that that was directed by Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam. And they decided, having done that, that they would not do that ever again. Uh, and in fact, if they were doing another movie, Terry Jones would direct it solely uh, and Gilliam would like take charge of particular sequences. And no spoilers, but I think you can guess which sequence Gilliam directed in this. Oh, yeah. Or kind of took charge of in this. It's very obvious. Um, but basically, while... Well, there, there's, obviously there's fil- two. One, one is obvious from watching the show. And yeah. the second is obvious from watching Gilliam's movie. Terry Gilliam. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then basically, so yeah. Without so revealing what kinda. the nature of those sequences. So basically, while they're doing press for The Holy Grail, which was a massively successful movie, despite it being made on no money whatsoever, um, they were constantly asked, what are you doing next? What are you doing next? Idol got quite bored of this question, and I believe George, throughout the answer... George Harrison, wasn't it? No, the Harrison comes along later. Right, yeah, but they, 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 he, he, he's the person who financed it, isn't it? He is, yes. Sorry, am I am I am I going out of speed? That's uncomfortable. I beg your pardon. Well, no, it just it, it's worth. Okay, so Eric Idle says they're doing Jesus Christ, Lust for Glory, 
uh, riffing off the title of Patton. They get EMI to agree to fund the movie. They decide that they're going to shoot it in Tunisia on the sets that were used for Jesus of Nazareth. And here, a grand total of three sentences later, I've arrived at George Harrison, Andrew. Uh, EMI, EMI drop out of financing literally days before they're due to enter production. Uh, they drop out over fears that this is going to be a movie about Jesus Christ and that there's going to be a backlash to it. I believe the founder of EMI was a Jewish man who was very nervous about the portrayal of things like prayer tablets and, and various other religious artifacts in the movie itself. So what happens is Idol goes to, like, they, they go around hat in hand looking for somebody to fund them. Um, Eric Idle, who apparently had been smoking pot with George Harrison at the premiere of uh, Holy Grail, goes to Harrison and says, like, would you like to do this? Harrison says, yeah. And he basically mortgages his house. He throws in, depending on who you ask, between four million pounds sterling or five million pounds sterling into the budget. All of the Pythons, or at least uh, Idle and Jones, have separately joked that that's the most expensive movie ticket that anybody ever bought. But Harrison gave them the money. They shot the film. Uh, Harrison has a very small cameo in it. And Harrison uses the money to finance, sorry, Harrison to do this founds the company Handmade Films, which becomes this weird British boutique that is responsible for every British movie between now and like Four Weddings and a Funeral that is worth knowing about. Like Mona Lisa, for example. Oh, yeah. Was it The, uh, the Long Good Friday? With Bob uh, with Nail and I. Yeah, basically they fund Bob Hoskins. That's, that's what <laughs> Handmade Films do after this. They bankroll Bob yeah, Hoskins. You, you, yeah, who, 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 who bankrolled Bob Hoskins? <laughs> Um, <laughs> the like vital who, question of who, our time who shot Roger Rabbit um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah so that is that is how the film kind of came about but I guess then to get us started three questions so Richard do you think that The Life of Brian belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made I do yeah I think it's I think it's a great it's a great comedy like it's just like one of the essential comedies like if I was making a list of like you know, the all-time best comedies through the airs, I think it would definitely be on there. Um, I think, for one, like, it's just, it feels so specific and, you know, unique. Like, there's really, there's not, like, another comedy film like it, which I think is kind of interesting because, like, you would think that, like, given the nature of, like, religion and, like, how popular it is all over the world, and especially, like, Christianity... And, like, how much stuff, like, there is, like, that you can, like, kind of, like, play off of and, like, joke about. Like, it's actually, like, very surprising that there's not more, like, biblically-based comedies. And so I think that, you know, this, like, because of that, this really stands out. Yeah, I just, I, I definitely think it belongs on the list. I mean, you mentioned the kind of religious nature of the movie, which was obviously usually controversial when it came out. Like, apparently, like, Cleese and, again, the, the way that the Pythons worked was that there were apparently, like, four separate subgroups of six people, which is, again, very remarkable in terms of group dynamics. So, like, Jones and Palin worked together, and they tended to do big, stupid, surrealist stuff. Like, so, for example, um, they'd be ones where people would, like, charge. Oh, oh the, the joke that they point to is, like, in The Meaning of Life, it's not a spoiler, it's a sketch movie. But the sequence where Chapman is being chased by a bunch of naked women, that's apparently, like, a Jones and Palin mm. sketch, if ever there was one, because it's based around the absurd image of a gay man being chased by an army of, like, naked women. <laughs> um, and then there's the um, 
Cleese and Chapman um, would kind of work together and they'd do more kind of social stuff. And then Idol would go off and he'd write his own monologues and he'd write all the musical numbers, basically, is what his, he did. It's no coincidence he went off and he did Spam a lot. He did the musical based on it. And then obviously Gilliam would be the guy who they'd be like, well, look, we've got no idea how to connect these two things. You Can you animate something for us? Because I think Gilliam had been working in like children's television as an animator. And like Cleese has talked about how they would never know what Gilliam was going to put in the show until like the afternoon before it aired um and he'd be like here here's what i did and it's too late to change any of it but yeah so like that's how it came about but they talked about like can i uh, can i say by the way uh we mentioned george harrison he he is the best beetle right like ooh, it's uh, like like not the obvious choice right yeah i mean but, like very few people have ringo as the favorite beetle some people some people yes. have paul and most people have john but like I definitely think he's the most the most interesting. I watched the um, Martin Scorsese, yeah, Martin Scorsese. Uh, documentary, uh, Living in a Material World, and there's actually a bit um, about like him being on the set of Life of Brian in there. But I think like out of the four Beatles, I think that he had like the most interesting perspective. I'd say. I think so. I I, I love the the he. I think he was friends with so many interesting people. Um, I don't know, was it Eric Idle or it might have been like Billy Connolly or somebody like that but who was who was friends with him and was on a beach. Could have been John Cleese either. Um, was on a beach with him and uh, they were t- started talking about the Beatles and he said like, I wish we had known that we were going to be the Beatles because if we if I had known, like, or if we had known that we were going to be the Beatles, we would have been better. You know, which, which I thought was such a kind of like an interesting sort of perspective. It's just like, if we're going to be the biggest band like of, of the 20th century, like we, we should really... We should really work on our stuff. <laughs> exactly. We should try to be like even better than we were. And, and, and we never really kind of like thought in those terms. We were just trying, we were just, you know, uh, you know a band. Um, well that's it I mean I don't know much about the Beatles and my gut feeling has always been like I I'm I'm anxious about the the kind of the way that Lennon is kind of romanticized particularly given what we know about him yeah that's it Uh, McCarthy I guess I respect for the volume of his output still going Uh, Ringo I kind of yeah he's he's still going and he's still like contributing to pop music and all that sort of stuff but he like Paul is like the boring dad's choice right I kind of always yeah Sure. I always kind of admire Ringo. Ringo's the one who seems like he's the one that nobody hates Ringo. And I'm like, I kind every, every, of aspire to that. No, like, like Signature Hunters hate Ringo. <laughs> like video where where he was like, no more, no more. No, I, I don't know if I can do Ringo, but it's like, and no more autographs, no more autographs, peace and love, peace and love. Please don't ask me. No more autographs. <laughs> like he released it on, uh, like it, this wasn't like some paparazzi got him. This okay. was him like releasing a statement, like saying, don't ask me for any merchandise. Please, please, please. No, no autographs. Peace and love. Peace and love. Yes, forgive the lateness of my reply. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it must have been... Like people must have seen that episode of The Simpsons and thought like, oh, gosh, he, he eventually he's going to open it because I saw it on The Simpsons <laughs> um, and started writing him more more things. Um, yeah, but he, he, he must have been getting inundated. 
in fairness. So people were like, how how dare he rebuke our, um, our like, adulation? Um, um, doesn't he know that he owes us to accept our praise think, and worship? I think he... Um, not unrelated to the movie we're talking about today. He is, he is your Beatle, uh, Darren, because, like, you have that problem, too, where, where people are always trying to lift you up on... on on their shoulders and and say that you're the messiah and 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 and, and that you're like no 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 more adulation peace and love peace no and no love. peace and love peace and love um follow-up question to andrew's one i guess they were getting i kind of had this on the card to do anyway but i guess now is the time to do it favorite python so richard do you have a favorite python yeah uh, eric idol that wow that was without hesitation yeah. that was prepared yeah, I, what he, what is it about Idol? He just he always makes me laugh. Like I just like his delivery, just like his facial expressions. I'm also a big fan of like musical comedy, so definitely the fact that he like does the songs as well. But yeah, he uh, he's great. He always gets a laugh out of me for sure. And Andrew, do you have a favorite Python? I and and again, this is possibly the boring um, kind of dad answer, but I really, really, really like uh, Michael Palin. I think he's he's terrific. I think he's a very a uh, good actor, um, and he is is kind of like talented a lot at a lot of things and kind of low key funny, like um, he 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 brings his humor to kind of like everything he does, whether it's like his travel uh, programs or um, like I, I I don't disagree by the way um, uh, with 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 Richard on on Idol. But that's why, like, 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 it's difficult, you know. I mean, I, I, well, there, I, there are five very different people in terms of temperament. Well, six. And they're six. Sorry, six. That's right. I forget about Gillian. I keep forgetting about <laughs> <laughs> Terry. Terry Jones. Like people, I guess, sleep on Terry. But he, um, he's gone on to do some interesting stuff. Obviously, like the, um, well, I believe he passed, didn't he? Or he, he passed. Yes, yeah, he passed. yeah. And and he had he had kind of suffered a little bit later in years. Um, and being unable to work, Dementia, I believe, yeah. yeah, yeah. But he he had he had done like he did he did quite a decent kind of a Netflix documentary on the boom and bust of like um, kind of financial markets um, and stuff that was um, that was reasonably kind of like good and informative and that sort of thing was a little bit under the radar. Like it's one of those things that's like also on Netflix, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the mountain of if you, if you, if, it, if you've watched like dirty money and if you've watched like every, uh, any, any other, like uh, the big shorts. Hours and, of, yeah. 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 Uh, the Netflix algorithm digs in its pockets and finds this for you. <laughs> you seen this? Um, Terry Jones is in it. It's like Terry Jones. <laughs> we, 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 we found that there was a Venn diagram where you watch both the meaning of life and um, Big Short and yeah and and the Ozarks. So so we're we're, we're going to recommend this one. Yeah. Uh, what I, I I kind of would agree with that actually. I kind of split my vote between Palin because he seems like he's a genuinely lovely guy and he's had I would argue the most interesting post post Brian career or post Monty Python career in terms of like doing, as you mentioned, the travel shows as a diarist, as a writer, um, he comes across very well. I think he's aged remarkably well. Cleese, I think his reputation has 
been complicated by Cleese himself, <laughs> if we want to be frank. Um, I, For sure. I, I agree with you on Jones, actually, because like the thing you hear about Jones is Jones is the guy who like they would film something like, you know, six hours of material every week. And it was Jones's job to fashion that into a show, to fashion that into a half hour of entertainment and to corral all the cats. Like Gilliam says, like the reason why he didn't direct Life of Brian after directing the Holy Grail was because he just found it too much pain to convince like Cleese and Chapman and Palin to like wear beards and get covered in dirt. And it was like, this is more than my job is worth. Terry can do, the other Terry can do that all he wants. Um, so I do think that, yeah, Jones is, is somewhat massively underrated as far as directors go. Uh, but Andrew, do you think this is one of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Yeah, no, I do. I do. I, um, I think if there is going to be a Monty Python movie on the list, and I don't think there's a great argument for there to be a movie on the, the Monty Python movie on the list. I think this and the Holy Grail are the, are are honestly the the only two that maybe deserve to be in that conversation. Yeah, it's difficult enough for a comedy movie to be on the list, but it's not as if it's not as if Monty Python had a lot of movies. It was um, it was this, um, the Holy Grail, the Meaning of Life. And we lost, that I is? Think we've lost Andrew. Um, okay, I think we've lost that Andrew. That was it. Am I, am I, am I, am I <laughs> wrong in saying Oh, I, I, I guess I cut out. Sorry. sorry. I beg you did. Pardon. Sorry. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah. So I, 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 I do beg your pardon. It's because my um, Wi-Fi is rubbish. I'm sorry. Um, for some reason, it was going okay. And then I plugged in my laptop. And for some reason... <laughs> It started. It just sucked like, all the sucked all the Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, great, we've got power. Let's do things. So, um, apologies for that um, uh, technical um, nonsense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so in terms of, of for myself, I think uh, probably yes. I mean, I would. I there's a debate among comedy fans about which is the more important Monty Python movie, whether it is this or it's the Holy Grail. And the argument, I think Cleese ironically makes the argument that Americans tend to love the Holy Grail more, whereas British comedy fans tend to prefer the life of Brian, which is interesting because I would have pegged the opposite. I think that, you know, you can make an argument for Holy Grail as being like surreal, um, being abstract, like capturing the kind of chaos and, and kind of, you know, the, the surrealness that you associate with Monty Python. Whereas The Life of Brian, I think, is a much more mainstream, down-the-middle comedy. It has a much more coherent plot with a much stronger beginning, middle, and end. It has a stronger sense of character. It has a stronger sense, arguably, of, like, aboutness, I think, and all that sort of stuff. I think it's a more conventional movie that is perhaps, of the three theatrically released kind of Python films, excluding, obviously, Now for Something Completely Different and the other work they did afterwards. I think this is the one That was the one I forgot, by the way. Um, I said, yeah, the meaning I of said, life for now for something completely different. No, I said meaning of life, but I forgot about and now for something completely different. It was also the live at the Hollywood Bowl, if we want to live at the that, Hollywood yeah. Bowl, yeah. Uh, and I think if we, if we want to include that, like there, I think there's also like another live one, which is Monty Python mostly live, uh, which I think was the 2014 one. Very famously uh, resulted from I think Mark Forstatter's lawsuit, where he claimed that he was quote unquote the seventh Python. And that he was entitled to uh, royalties accruing from the Holy Grail and from its musical adaptation, Spamalot. Obviously, the Pythons firmly rejected this idea, um, but the, he ended up losing the case for Satter won the case. Uh, they owed a combined $800,000 in legal fee and back royalty as, w as well to Forstatter. 
it became very clear that they didn't actually have any of the money to hand. <laughs> so they basically staged a reunion show uh, in order to raise the funds to pay back the debt that they owed for. I them. love I, I love the way like all of these kind of like like when English people make things in like the 60s and 70s. It's like, so I was being taxed at 90%. So, <laughs> um, uh, so I decided to make this uh, album or like movie or, or a song. And I, I'd go to the America and, and do it there. And there's always some like, like basic financial kind of um, reason for these things. Rather, rather than like, I feel I, that I had something important to say. An argument for a progressive tax system, perhaps. It encourages great art. Um so, yeah, my answer to that is, is I don't know. I don't know if the film you put on the list is, is like The Holy Grail or The Life of Brian or if you have to choose between the two. I think The Life of Brian is the most conventional movie of the set, the most conventional narrative movie. But I think Holy Grail is more representative of Python. So I'm going to split my vote and say maybe. But Richard, and I think we already know the answer to this, given the story that you told at the start of the podcast. But is this one of your own personal 250 favorite movies? Yeah, I definitely put that on on my two hundred and fifty list for sure. Uh, and can I ask you? You kind of do you watch this regularly, or was this your first time kind of coming back to it in years? And was there a difference between the two? Was it funnier than you thought it was? Was it as funny as you remember it? Was it less funny? What was it like coming back to it? It's probably the third time I've seen it uh, in the past fourteen years. Um, I definitely I thought it was, I thought some of it was funnier. Like there are certain aspects I think like. Specifically in terms of the, um, like, People's Front of Judea and, like, the Judea, the Judea People's Front. Like, those kind of jokes and just about, like, kind of, like, these, like, progressive social groups and, like, the infighting amongst them distracting from, like, the their actual, issue. you know, larger goal. And then just, like, the, like, you know, the, the, the paperwork, like, when they're deciding of whether to, like... <laughs> go and like get brian from like being like crucified and just like having like the meetings over it and like all of that stuff like was a lot funnier uh than when i had seen it in high school um and what was i I thought so at first i thought like the the dig the the biggest dickest joke like i was like all right this isn't great but then like the more that they the more that they said it the funnier it became yeah, I mean, that that's the classic comedy thing of just leaning into it and kind of seeing it become funnier. But yeah, it is it is interesting kind of coming back to it after all these years. But Andrew, are you there? I am here, yeah. See, this is the thing with having the video off. I don't know if you're on or off at a given moment. But would it be on your own personal 250 favorite movies? It would. It would, definitely. It was a big favorite kind of growing up. I do like a comedy. Far more than, say, I like a horror um, and it's one, one, it's one of the requirements, as you know, of, of my two fifty. <laughs> or it's it make you laugh, make you cry. Yeah, yeah. Does it make me cry? Probably not. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's um, it 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 probably made me laugh enough to 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 kind of make up for it, you know. So it, and and yeah, like it's difficult for a movie with pathos to be this funny. I'm not saying that it completely lacks pathos. I think there there is. Um, kind of a um like i guess when we get to the aboutness of the movie there's stuff we can talk about um in terms of the characters and their kind of uh motivations and things reasons we might feel sorry for somebody or understand them maybe 
I mean, it's possible it could be relatable to somebody, or that's the that's the sense in which this movie is 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 a good story well told. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Which I, which I think separates it from say Holy Grail, which is just pure anarchy, comedic anarchy. I think. I don't think Holy Grail has as pure a through line. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it, it's 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 odd because it's it's like. Um, it it achieves both those things, um, and neither of them are in spite of of the other. Of the other. Yeah, yeah, like like the, the the um that it gets to be a story well told, but also like um hilarious, really really funny. And yeah, and I I think yeah, we'll talk about the aboutness when we get there. I think like the Richard Richard kind of hit up the nail on the head there when it comes to like this movie does have things to say about like nineteen seventy nine Britain, but it also has things to say about like twenty twenty two everywhere as well. Um, and for myself, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think I, I went back to this. This is the first time I'd watched in decades, as Andrew suggested. And it's kind of, I think Richard hinted, this was a movie that as a teenage boy, I kind of like it, it kind of fell in love with as a teenager and found myself like watching it again for this, able to quote back entire scenes. Especially a nerdy teenager. I yes, think. that's, that, that's it's it. Exactly. A, the, Monty Python. <laughs> not, not to cast is... aspersions on Richard, sorry. Um, no, no. I, I accept no, but it. It, I accept it, it. it is. <laughs> It is a cliche, <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I think, I think something like the life of Brian kind of maybe overcomes that sort of um, characterization because I do think it's it's a movie for more than just kind of Monty Python heads, if yes. you like. But the, I mean, the, the two the two fifty is quite a nerdy list. It is in some respects. Um, it is a very yeah. kind of nerdy list. I mean, again, this is the thing where it's worth stressing that like all the Python movies were box office smashes. Yeah. Even uh, say Meaning of Life, which I rewatched. I I think Richard kind of mentioned a fondness for it. I it's grown on me over the years. I did not like it as a teenager. I'm still not entirely sure what I think of it as an adult, but I respect it a lot more. But that was like that was nominated for a special. That got a special jury prize at Cannes. Uh, it was a massive financial success, garnered incredibly positive reviews, and audiences seemed to love it. Like, these movies were huge hits. Uh, we were talking with friend of the podcast, Donald Clark, just randomly about Name Drop. But we were talking just randomly <laughs> about, like, Arthurian like Arthurian blockbusters and Hollywood's obsession with, like, King Arthur movies, where you have, like, you know, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, and, uh, you know, the King Arthur movie with Clive Owen and all this sort of stuff. And it's, like, going back... Is the Monty Python and the Holy Grail the most successful King Arthur movie of like the past 60 years, 50 odd years now? And the answer is probably yes. Like these were these were big cultural defining hits. But I think that, yeah, when we were growing up, they had become a bit more kind of nerdy and niche. And I think, yeah, the Pythons. the And again, this is the thing where it's British comedy in particular. So it's coming up through Oxford and Cambridge. So there's an element of class to it as well. Like things like how Cleese and Chapman would write sketches. Uh, first thing they would do is they would they draw from the Bible. They literally go to the Bible and find something absurd in it, and then build a sketch around it. Was one of the things they did. So naturally, they were very excited to be writing a Jesus movie. Um, but they would also like just pick up a, thes- a thesaurus and like flip through it and randomly find words and find sketches to build around that. It's a very literate style of comedy. I guess is probably it's- the way to describe it. Yeah, it's it's very futurist too. It's very sort of, sort of like um, it's very modern. It's 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 it, or or I I don't I'm 
I don't. I, um, say postmodern. Go on, say postmodern. Postmodern. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I like to say postmodern and not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but then the nice thing about that word is it means different things depending on what you're talking about. It means anything. So <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's like totes postmodern. <laughs> um, and. And why not existential? <laughs> um, why not? Just, just throw that in there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But no, it is. It in 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 the sense of like the the these are all um uh, college graduates of like kind of Oxbridge. Yeah. You know? Um, um like and, like and th- there's a scene in here where one of the characters corrects another's graffiti in Latin, and that's based on the fact that like John Cleese used to teach Latin before he went to college. He paid <laughs> for like his law degree by teaching Latin. Um and they're like, that's part of the sketch, which is kind of incredible. Sorry. Yeah. I, 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 no, exactly. And and I, I I Richard can probably speak to this better than I could, but I believe that the 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 American thing is like repeats of it on um BBC America, right? Was was kind of how a lot of young American comedians like Kids in the Hall and um yeah. like Bob and David and uh people like that, how they uh became kind of um exposed to to stuff like this, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Like Kids in the Hall and Flying Circus and all that stuff. Yeah, it was BBC America. Um, all right, then. And I guess finally, then, before we jump into the spoiler zone, Richard, if listeners have not seen Monty Python and the Life of Brian, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? I would. Yeah, it's it's on Netflix uh, and it's only what, like an hour and 30 minutes. It's definitely worth your time. Yeah. And it flies by as well. And it moves like, again, it, it's that sketch comedy thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. It moves fast. Like, that's the thing where, like, the thing about Python was that when they could not end a sketch, they would just, like, write a character walking in and saying, enough of that, the sketch is over. <laughs> um, which is kind of, like, again, not to spoil it, but that's how the Holy Grail ends. And it's kind of fascinating. We'll maybe talk about it. But one of the things about the life of Brian is that they, they remove that crutch for themselves. Here, they can't do that, which but they still find ways to make it work, which is, is fascinating to me, I think. Um, but Andrew, what about yourself? If listeners have not seen the life of Brian. Would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? I mean, only if they like joy. If you like, you know, laughing, you like a very funny movie. There's probably listeners who will be offended by this movie, but um, I don't think they listen to us. Um, well, I mean, or maybe I mean, they do. I don't know. Well, I mean, there are uh, some elements of the movie that are very Britain from 1979, like the right, yeah, yeah. The opening and scene does have John Cleese in blackface, for example. I, yeah, There's a lot of jokes yeah. about speech impediments and things like that. There's, you know, like there, there is stuff that is yes, of yeah. its time. I think is probably the the way to describe it. I, I say as somebody who loves I, the movie. I, yeah, I think I think there's enough in the movie that is um, hilarious and not kind of um yeah. i'm not going to say problematic i'm going to uh, or perhaps offensive to some to yeah so that some people some people of course will are will 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 find parts of it problematic and you certainly couldn't do it uh today for good for very good reasons and even even there 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 is um i guess if we're doing trigger warnings there there's there's um what what i can only imagine um is a fairly transphobic scene Involving Eric Idle's character, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I think I think that's the thing that you re- alluded to with John Cleese, 
earlier where where John Cleese is kind of like I'm John Cleese I'm a um national treasure I'm still saying the kind of things that I said in the <laughs> 70s and it's and it's still perfectly common sense and it's crazy that like anybody is kind of you know telling me that I can't kind of like say these things and also in the middle of this interview I'm going to check the cricket scores right 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 yeah on a on a, on a separate topic um <laughs> but no sorry I I I guess what I mean to say is um yeah there 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 are there are many reasons to be um to be offended by this movie because it does touch a lot of kind of third rails one the big one i guess at the time was religion but um yes. there there are other sensitivities to which it 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 it, it might also um o- o- offend or 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 are 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 you could argue is just straight up offensive so yeah with 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 that caveat but gen, gen, generally speaking, I, I, I think it, it would be it, for me, and I, and I think everyone here, it would be ludicrous to kind of damn the movie for, 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 um, to say like that one can't enjoy this movie, um, be, be because of those elements for it. I would venture to say that even a deeply religious person can enjoy this movie, like a deeply religious Christian person. Um, well, I, mean, I don't. Terry, I really don't see why not. Terry Young said that his mother, who goes to church every Sunday, loved the movie. Yeah. And they, they, I, I think a lot of it is misunderstanding. A lot of it is people who have not seen the yes. movie. Yes. Um, I mean, there's the famous and, criticism from was it the Archbishop of Canterbury who complained about how at the end of the movie Monty Python was crucified. And it's like, I feel like you did not watch the movie <laughs> if your takeaway is Monty Python was crucified. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, well, they're, they're not allowed to say the, word, the name of... <laughs> yeah, the I mean, Python. that requires a stoning, as, as yeah, you mentioned, uh, Brian. Exactly. Um, yeah. So. So. Um. But. Yeah. They, I. I. I would recommend people watch it. As. Um. As Richard said, it's on Netflix. I wish I'd known that. <laughs> it's. 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 It's on Netflix. It, it's gone from Netflix by the time that this. Oh, is it on. is. Oh, it's on American Netflix. Oh. American Netflix. American Netflix is so much better <laughs> than, than Irish Netflix. By the way. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I w- I was there in what was it, 2018, Darren? <laughs> and um, there was a whole lot of shit. Uh, stuff. Oh, when you did your comedy tour, yeah. Yeah, there was a whole lot of stuff I hadn't seen, <laughs> like that 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 just wasn't on anything that that I got to kind just of catch to, up. Just on. to clarify for Richard, um, Andrew took a tour to like Los Angeles specifically for comedy and fast food and American Netflix, or American Netflix was like <laughs> an happy side effect. Of this. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah it, it was a friend of mine who's a comedian was going to uh, Los Angeles. I'll, I'll say, actually, it was, it was Sophie Hagen. Uh, she, she, she was going to Los Angeles and then she wasn't. So she was asking kind of, hey, does anyone want a ticket? And I said, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> Um, so, um, so that was how and, that happened. And this is Andrew is the spontaneous member of the podcast. Andrew is the heart. <laughs> like, yeah, this, this is why this is the kind of attitude that that we need. That I, you know, that I can't really bring up. I'm far too organized and far too. I, I was saying, hey, Darren, let, let's go, let's go together, and we'll do a live podcast in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be like, the let me pack. We, we can do 
If we can do it in like 2025, I think we can fit it in, is what my response would be. I say opening a notebook. It's safe to say that I'm not the movie buff of the podcast because I didn't go to like a single studio. No. Nor, would I, nor will I ever. <laughs> and, and for, good, for good reason. Um, what I would say, just you mentioned the kind of religious uh, response to this movie, um, and it was protested. It was pro- it opened. It un- united all of the fates, didn't it? It did, which is quite remarkable. Um, it was protested by Jewish groups in New York. It, they opened it in. in in New York before they brought it to the UK because they felt that it would get a warmer reception there. Uh, it got a warmer reception in the sense that there were like flaming pitchforks. Um, but there were protests from uh, religious groups. It was banned in the Bible Belt. Um, there were Jewish groups opposed to, you mentioned the stoning scene. There's a religious document that's visible in that scene that is offensive to portray on screen, I believe. And that was, or to some Orthodox Jewish faith. And that was why, why that was protested there. Then they brought it back to the UK. There was a very famous debate on the BBC, we'll include the show notes, uh, where... Yes, I've seen. Which I think the Palin credits with, like, changing the view of religion uh, in the UK, when it was basically, it was a sense of himself and Cleese went on, and they were very reasonable in their responses. They said, look, this isn't a movie about Jesus Christ. We actually considered making it a movie about Jesus Christ, but we sat down and we couldn't crack any good jokes because the guy was just teaching love and understanding. And it's very hard exactly. to make fun of a guy who's preaching love and understanding. I think there's a great line from Terry Jones where Terry Jones is, look, uh, my feelings towards Christ are that he was a bloody good joke, even though he wasn't as funny as Margaret Thatcher, um, is his quote. Is That's Terry Jones's take on it. Um, but the movie ends up, it's banned in Ireland, actually. And there's a really good quote That's from right. Frank. Yeah, it was oh. not available in Ireland, the Christian country, I, country that we are. Sorry. Yep. Can I say something, actually? The, 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 we, we spoke earlier about each of our first experience of this movie. There is a song at the end of this movie. Yes. And it is a joy. And, and like people will know the song, but they might know that, it, that, that it's part of this, this movie. Because I was aware of this song. As a very young child, yeah, and um, and it's a very popular song. So I'm, 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 I'm and and the two of you know what song I'm talking yes. about. So the, the, and, and it, this is ridiculous kind of thing talking about it as a <laughs> without thing, naming as if people don't go ahead and not not name the song just in case in case people do want uh, to to because uh, certainly when I watched the movie the first time I didn't know that that. that 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 movie kind of belonged to the to the song. I ought to have if I'd listened to the song in its in its entirety. But is is that the same for for you, Darren, and for you, Richard? Was it was was um, was that song always kind of a part of your life? No, I had I had not heard the song until I had seen the movie. Okay, yeah, that's interesting because yeah, I I had a similar experience to Andrew. I guess it's maybe because the movie was banned in Ireland when exactly. we were tiny little children, and so the song was the only relic of it that existed. There's a quote here from Frank Hall, the Irish film censor at the time, that I just want to read. He remarked that the film was, and I quote offensive to Christians and to Jews as well because it made them appear a terrible load of gobshites, <laughs> That's the Irish film censor's official position on Life of Brian. Um, and for myself, yes, I, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. I think it is it is a movie that is very worth seeing. I mean, again, we mentioned it is dated in a way that like a lot of humor from 1979 is in a way a lot of British humor is, but it's got a warm humanism to it. I think it's incredibly funny. I think the performances are great in it. I think they're yes. incredibly, like we talked about how good they are uh, playing with words and concepts, and they absolutely are. But I think they're like, you know, counting Gilliam, six of the most gifted physical comedians. Uh, you'll see six of the best performing comedians you'll see. I think Chapman's I, central performance as Brian is really good. 
It is very so. good. And it, 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 like Chapman is the kind of like, like people kind of tend to think he's the like star that shines brightest for the shortest kind of, you know, that, um, and that there were, he passed away with throat cancer in 1989. Exactly. And there was, that there was always something kind of like irrepressible and kind of um, chaotic um, about him while, 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 while he was alive. And that his, 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 his energy kind of like, um, um, I think, meant a lot to the, the, to the six of them. And that they can't really be um, Monty Python, Python without, without him. him. I mean, like they they do jokes, like they they do jokes where they do get back together, where they're like bring a Ouija board or do a séance. There was a famous <laughs> interview in nineteen ninety eight where they brought an urn on stage, and Gilliam accidentally made a play of knocking it over, and then they did like a knock twice for yes kind of gag, where Chapman was there kind of with them. I, uh, like like Cleese's Cleese's eulogy for Chapman. I just want to read the opening kind of line of that, um, just to get like to get a sense of the because Cleese was obviously the one who came up with Chapman. They both studied at Cambridge together. They were writing partners, all that sort of stuff. So here's Cleese's just the the opening line of his eulogy. He has ceased to be bereft of life. He rests in peace. He has kicked the bucket, hopped the twig, bit the dust, snuffed it, breathed his last, and gone to meet the great head of light entertainment in the sky. <laughs> and I guess that we're all thinking about how sad it is that a man of such talent, such capability and kindness, of such intelligence, should now so suddenly be spirited away at the age of only 48, before he'd achieved many of the things of which he was capable, before he'd had enough fun. Well, I feel I should say to that, nonsense, good riddance to him, the freeloading bastard I hope he fries. <laughs> The reason that I should say this is he would never forgive me if I didn't, if I threw away this opportunity to shock you all on his behalf. Anything for him but mindless good taste. Like, yeah. It's, there's something strangely moving in that kind of energy. It is, because like, it, it feels very Chapman, um, yeah. honestly. I think uh, yeah. Cleese jokes that Chapman complained that Cleese got to be the first British person to say, and we can say this on the podcast now, Andrew, to say shit uh, on British television. Oh, we can say it now? So Cleese said... We can. I've managed to get that sorted. And please uh, joke that as a response, Chapman would be the first man to have fuck said in his eulogy. Um, which I kind of, kind of love about the two of them. Um, we should note, by the way, Chapman also almost wasn't the lead of this project. Um, he'd suffered with alcoholism since he was um, in college. That's right. It had become particularly bad during the making of the TV show. During the production of The Holy Grail, he went into withdrawal when they were filming in the countryside. He had the DTs. Um, it was that bad. And at a certain point, the the Pythons were thinking about casting Cleese as Brian um, until Chapman basically got sober specifically and physically got in shape as well. I think Cleese's joke that like you can see from several of the scenes of this movie that Chapman was the most physically fit or physically attractive of the set of them. Um, but the, yeah, he, he basically he went cold turkey. Um, he basically gave up alcohol um, and started living clean so he could play the lead role in this movie, uh, which is kind of deeply moving. And I think it's it's a wonderful, wonderful performance. And yes, I would recommend it. So with that in mind, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, that grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Hey. Spoilers on. So, Richard, what is the life of Brian? 
about for you? Uh, well, I think it is um, about, I guess, how... Well, I'd say it's about a lot, a lot of things, but I think, like, for me, the main thing is about, like, I think how easy it is for people to become convinced of certain beliefs or messianic figures without there being, like, evidence. I think the people feel a need to, like, latch on to something. I mean, like, the whole, like, individual individualism thing, you know, where, where Brian says, like, you know, you're all individuals, and they repeat, like, we're all, in, like, I feel like that is, like, the very, like... I'm not! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's, like, the very, like, I guess, root of the film, is that, like, it's, I think, exploring, like, the kind of, like, perhaps failings of, you know, religion in the fact that, like, I think the message becomes obscured when you have, like, a lot of people who are just, like, you know, claiming to see symbols and things that aren't there. Like, the whole, like, you know, Brian losing his sandal, you know, when, when, the, when the mob is, like, chasing after him and they all remove their sandals and they think that it's, it's, a, it's a sign. You know, or, or seeing, like, the, the bush of the, the guy who, like, hasn't <laughs> spoken, the, the berry bush. I hadn't spoken like, a word for 17 years before he came up. <gasps> he cured him. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think like there's there's something really I think important about you know kind of looking at how history and like religion is created by people's interpretation but also just like a desire to see to see meanings and things that aren't there and how sometimes like yes that can be beautiful but because this is a comedy like it can also be like so very absurd i mean it is worth noting that like again cleese and chat cleese and chapman in particular have argued that they're very anti-authoritarian or they're very anti uh anti-bad authoritarianism i think that like you know cleese's statement is you can't just dispense with traffic light the truth is we're anti-bad authority. Right. I think it was Chapman in particular carried a grudge against the nonsense he'd been fed at school in the name of religion. And like yeah. they joke that, you know, when they were in Cambridge, whenever anybody would come into the house, like Graham's boyfriend would come into the house or whatever, he'd see the Bible out on the table and he'd go, oh, you two have been writing sketches again. Um, so it does feel like it's it's a very anti-authoritarian kind of bit, which I guess is kind of like co- comedy's anarchy yeah. to a certain extent. And it, like to... I suppose, like, I don't know what John Cleese's most recent kind of statements on political correctness have been, but um, I think that comes from the same uh, kind of uh, place. Yeah, exactly. Where he feels that there is a kind of a a liberal orthodoxy in the same way that there was a kind of a a conservative orthodoxy uh, when he was a child. And that that, yeah. that that now that he kind of lives in a different world where there are different norms, he is um, rebelling against those norms, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to go down the Cleese rabbit hole. No, Darren no. Says, I, opening opening I, <laughs> the dossier to the page marked Cleese, Cleese rabbit hole. Let's let's talk. Yeah, I, 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 I was thinking about Cleese speaking at, at Chapman's funeral and it reminded me of um, Trevor Moore recently died. And the whitest kids, you know, I forget what it was, but they went like speaking for hours about on like Twitch 
about like the cause of death. <laughs> they, were, they were like revealing for all his fans like what had actually happened. Uh, I, I forget what exactly it was, but it was exactly like what Trevor would have wanted. It's probably it would probably be bad taste for me to repeat it on the podcast, but it it's it's comedians kind of like being irreverent about everything, like including, you know, life and death. Uh, it It is maybe worth unpacking the, the John Cleese thing, uh, not because I'm particularly enthusiastic about doing that, but because it's come up a couple of times uh, on the podcast and it's worth just kind of airing it out and kind of shaking it out. For me, Cleese has that arc that you see very frequently with comedians, where by default as a comedian, you begin as an anti-establishment figure. And then as you gradually get richer, you kind of become the establishment so you know for example like Cleese if you look historically he's had kind of left-wing views uh he was a prominent supporter of like the STP Liberal Alliance in the 1980s he go on to support the Liberal Democrats in the 1990s and kind of since then he's had a bit of a shift towards you know kind of more traditional kind of conservative view is he a Tory now though? no no I, I I think I think if you ask Cleese directly he would reject any attempt to label him as a Tory. I think his his attitude towards the Conservative Party itself is openly hostile and there's plenty of quotes that support that argument. Um that said, I mean he he's historically been open to certain Conservative Party views on entrepreneurship and defense for example. And again, that is just something that tends to happen. As you become rich, you start to have more conservative and right-leaning views on tax, for example. Yeah. Uh, but he's also, I mean, quite adamant that, you know, he voted for Brexit, for example. Uh, and he's ho- he's signed a deal to host a chat show on GB News. And it's worth noting, like, just for, for Richard and for our international listeners, GB News is basically the United Kingdom's answer to Fox News. Um, so you have Cleese hosting a chat show on what is effectively Fox News. While he might reject the label of conservatism, I do think it's fair to suggest that he has moved pretty far to the right. And that obviously stands in contrast to, say, obviously, like Palin and Jones, who throughout their career and even with their success, remain, say, staunch supporters of of the Labour Party uh, in the UK. Yeah, it feels like Palin is still kind of like somebody who could, if he doesn't already, write a column in The Guardian, say, and where John Cleese could be in The Times. Um, but yeah, so sorry, not not to have disappeared down kind of the Cleese rabbit hole, but I do think, yeah, I, I kind of get what you're saying. Uh, I do also think that there is a sense in which Cleese has become the establishment and so the attacks on the establishment becomes attacks on him um, kind of thing where he's, again, again, like he was punching down in the 70s. Sorry, he was punching up in the 70s and, and now it does feel like it's a bit of the, those kids these days. With well, the- that's not, that's absolutely not true. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, the... This gets said a lot. Is that like kind of good? Good comedy is is punching is, up. is punching up, and bad comedy is punching down. Nobody thought that um, Faulty Towers wasn't funny. I mean, people might feel differently about it now, but uh, Manuel was a waiter, and um, Basil Faulty was the um, the manager of the hotel. Basil Faulty was uh, an English speaking English man. Um, Manuel was was a character playing a a, a a a Spaniard who couldn't speak much English, and a lot of the comedy of that, whether it's kind of um, age well or not, was 
like like I'm 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 just saying that in 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 it's 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 not as if he wasn't literally punching down okay. <laughs> in the seventies and and like be, be, beating the living um kind of un, yes in a very literal sense out of Manuel. of, um, um, of what Andrew I, what Sachs. I would, yeah, yeah again we don't need to go down this rabbit hole I think that the thing no no the thing no, that no, would say there is that like the butt of the joke there was faulty himself at least sure yeah and 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 that's kind of like um yeah the 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 like context is 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 important, I suppose, and often um, Manuel got the last laugh and all that sort um, of thing. But yeah, again, this that's a big thorny thing that again I'm I'm kind of anxious to talk to talk about on Christmas Eve. No, yeah. no, no. I it's certainly it's an example of bullying on film, where I think when we learned about anti-bullying, Darren, we were shown a video of Andrew Sachs talking about his character of Manuel, and that it's not right to bully people the way he was bullied on the show Faulty Towers. Do you remember um, that? I feel like Richard's getting an insight into like how deeply ingrained <laughs> this is in like Irish and British pop culture. Um but yeah no I I, I kind of I do think I, I remember that as well. But I, I think to, to bring it back to to kind of what Rich, Sorry. Richard was no what Richard was originally saying there about like the the authoritarian stuff and that sort of stuff the kind of the idea of following and leadership. Like one of the big things um, and i think it came up at the start when we talked about like the python seeming kind of timeless uh, in a way that say saturday, saturday night live doesn't necessarily because again snl very overtly references uh things like jared ford for example um or ronald reagan or you know they cast like the president and all that sort of stuff in there it is worth noting that like the life of brian was arguably a product of like late 70s britain in that like all that stuff with the judean people's front and the people's right. front of judea Splitters. is about like yeah, the the far left fracturing in the UK um, under when Thatcher arrived, in the sense in which that you have around the time that kind of Thatcher's ascendant, you know, she'd be elected in 1979, the year the movie was eventually released. Um, but the idea that you have this this sense that like the far left in Britain can't accomplish anything. They're constantly holding meetings or they're talking about things, but they're not actually doing things. That great scene that Thank God that's changed. I, I know. Yeah, as Richard pointed out, thank goodness there's no applicable um like sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're living we're living in times where the left has united and definitely don't squabble amongst themselves. Um over in, over in... seemingly meaningless thing, meaningless things instead of dealing with the actual threat that presents itself. But, like that's the thing. Watching this now, I was like, is the villain of the life of Brian Reg? Is Reg, played by John Cleese, the leader of the Judean People's Front, like the worst person in this movie? Like, not only in the sense of like the whole with the whole delaying tactic that he does, the fact that he's so deliberately ineffectual, the fact that he argues over all this stuff that is completely pointless, but even small things like Reg won't be joining us on this daring raid on account of his back. And it's like, <laughs> are you sure you won't come with us, Reg? It's like, <laughs> free Judea. Um, I, I, like, I love that line where it's like, if we're stopped, we'll pretend to be sewage workers on the way to a conference. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just been freshly tiled There's so. so many lines like that are hilarious yeah. like every, yeah. pretty much every single line almost I, like i wonder how how many lines if you were to all take take them out kind of and isolate them like how many of them would 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 just be kind of like okay here's how we get from a point a to point b but that they do that while also being hilarious they're, they're, yeah, it just the seems thing. like There's they're very no little fast. Yeah, yeah. 
Like there was an entire like the, the first cut of the movie ran. No food waste. There is no food waste. There's <laughs> yeah, no fat here. Um, but like the idea. So welcome to the stupid podcast, Richard. Um, this is the thing we've determined that all movies on the 250 feature food waste, inappropriate smoking, and a reference to RoboCop. So we're gonna. I'm just gonna keep two of those in this. This is tank. an Easter movie. <laughs> rotter, rotter than a Christmas movie. What's another Easter movie? RoboCop. That features the death and resurrection of its hero. Yeah. Yeah. Robocop. It's a, it has um, a crucifixion at the end, um, whereas <laughs> Robocop has a crucifixion at the beginning. Um, um, but what I what I will say though to, to bring it back to, to that <laughs> is the to bring it back. Darren says very gradually to the the idea of kind of like how lean this movie is, how little fat there is on it. Like there are entire deleted subplots. The original cut of the movie was two hours long and they just like gutted half an hour out of it mercilessly to the point where like the sequence at the end of the movie, the Judean People's Front crack suicide squad. That was an entire recurring subplot in the movie that featured a character played by Eric Idle called Otto, who was hugely controversial despite the fact the movie's never been released because he was basically a Jewish Nazi. And in fact, you'll notice uh, if you look at the armor that these crack suicide squad are wearing, it is a Star of David that is also styled like a swastika. Uh, that's Terry Gilliam's production design choice there. Um, and again, the, the argument there is that Idle, who was largely behind driving that sequence, was trying to make a point about Israel and about like the state of Israel, a very politically charged point in the 1970s, oh. about the way in which the, the Israeli state has become, in, you know, without getting into well, any of that. <laughs> we talked to, yeah. uh, earlier about the, the, the left in the UK kind of, you know, you, you uniting <laughs> under kind of, um, and like a, a, a agreeing upon things. It's kind of like the 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 way the way anti-Israeli kind of sentiment just like creeps ever so slightly into anti-Semitism. Yes, um, like yes. over and yes. over again. Is yeah. Yes, it was probably a good thing that that subplot was cut. I am not arguing in defense of that subplot. I am more no. out relaying the what the content of that. Yes, was. yes, yeah. But no, was, no, 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 no. I, I, I not I endorsing it in any way, shape, or form. To be clear, but it was more you that are. like that was just cut. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it was it was just cut entirely from the movie. They just completely removed it. And according to Jones, the only reason that they kept the Suicide Squad gag in the movie. And by the way, I love that it's a Suicide Squad. Um, but the fact that, what is this? Some kind of Suicide Squad, Otto says as he turns. But the moment, the, reason, the only reason they kept it in was because, they, there. because they'd already used, they'd, they'd already shot scenes with the dead bodies. And it created a continuity error. They had to explain where the dead bodies came from. So that's the only reason that gag is still in the movie, which is fascinating. But um, actually, Richard, is there anything you want to talk about in terms of like particular scenes? Because this is a movie that's very populated with like like iconic scenes, iconic gags. What is your favorite bit from the life of Brian? Uh, yeah, mine is um, it's um, what 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 have the Romans ever done for us? Uh, <laughs> the the aqueducts and <laughs> the roads, public safety. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, the roads, the roads. Yeah, that, that that's just a given. Of course, the roads. <laughs> Aside from that, I mean... it's just such a great, great scene. And again, like the way in which. It... It's, it's the absurdity. Yeah, it's it's the wonderful kind of absurdity of it, which is kind of amazing as well. Andrew, what about yourself? What's your favorite gag in, in the life of Brian? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> no pressure. Uh, like, I think watching it again, it's like um, it's little things that kind of get me. Like, I was I was saying how you know most of the lines in the movie 
um, like taken in themselves are hilarious and you just kind of go past them because it's not a big set piece the way um, he's not the messiah he's uh, he's a very naughty boy boy. or um, yes but aside from that what have the Romans done it's it like like they, there there are some throwaway lines that are very funny. I I, I like when Brian is um, saying like I'm not a Roman, and then he he goes through like a whole gamut. But one one of them is I'm I'm, I'm a Red Sea oh, pedestrian. Oh, yes. I'm a Red Sea pedestrian. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I thought that was that that was that was a very good kind of like an end to like um, the whole the whole list of of kind of um, what would you say. Anyway, possibly slurs <laughs> things. We, um, things we won't repeat. Uh, yes, but but, uh, but a Red Sea pedestrian. Um, I, it's I just thought, a really clever I, way yeah, of referring to yes. I I I I thought that that was that was a very um, funny kind of um, a joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, aside from that, the, stuff, the thing that got me in terms of like them- thematics is the um, the idea of. Brian or Brian, as easy punches. <laughs> Brian, as as a um, as a self-hating Roman, I um, I thought that was interesting. That the movie is kind of about him proving that he's not Roman. Okay. Because be, be because he he and there there is something there's definitely something there. I hate the Romans. How much do you hate the Romans? A lot. You're in, <laughs> but but there's there's something there about um, him feeling that his mother has been defiled, and what does he say like rape? Which says, well, initially, and um, which 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 again is 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 a kind of a joke that is best made in that era. Um, and, in 1979, or not at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, there is a sense that. Uh, not only does he resent them being kind of in his country, they re- he resents them being in his mother, and and that um, he resents Rome being in him, being a part of it, being inescapable. Again, that yeah. idea of what the, what the Romans done that, for us, the idea that they're you can't divorce the society that they have, the world that they have, the life that they have from this these imperialist oppressors. Well, yeah, that he he he's not he's not Brian Cohen. He 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 has. Um, I forget what his actual name is, but but uh, do, does she name these uh, centurions? Well, it's a jo- it's a joke name. It's a joke name. Oh yes, it's like um, Nautius Maximus or something. Nautilus, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, he he is um, Brian Maximus, I guess, or Brian Brian Nautius Maximus, fought, uh, son of a. Um, uh, son, son, son of a, son, 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 son of, t- son of Terry Jones playing a mother. Um, uh, <laughs> Easy there, Russell Crowe. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I started and I could not finish. <laughs> but I admire that you kept going. That is the best thing. There was no point at which you said this is not worth the effort. You could hear me like grasping for straws and just kind of like, you know, slowly sinking. And I was like, I'm gonna let it happen. That's gonna be my, yeah. my my decision is to stand by and let this happen. <laughs> I guess in in the, in in that metaphor, I'm I'm in quicksand and I'm grasping at straws in order to pull myself up. Is 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 that what's what's yeah? I might be mixing my metaphors a wee bit. 
But to, to bring it back to Brian, because Brian is obviously like the center of the life of Brian. And like what distinguishes this movie from the two Python movies either side is the fact that it has a clear story to it. And the fact that it has a clear beginning, middle and end and actually has to have a resolution. Like I, part of me wonders how... Oh, di- and a love story as well. That, I, yeah. th- that's like, like whether you make it kind of a buddy cop movie with no romantic like interests or whatever, or, or, or it's a um, movie about, um, you know, finding an orphan and looking after it. You need a love story uh, somewhere in there. And I guess we, we, we have that to some extent with his kind of um, relationship with the only female member of the, of the Judean People's Front. The it primary is, cast. Or is it the People's Front of Judea? Now I'm confused. I thought it was the People's Front of Judea, but I'm I not I think you're right. Sure. I, I, then the I, popul- can't, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, now, now I'm so confused. And the, the popular front of Judea is just that guy, isn't it? Yeah, and Splitter. Splitter. <laughs> um, what a- what I do, what I found myself really responding to uh, in in the movie is this idea of kind of being a passenger. Sure. Like the thing that I find really strangely moving about the life of Brian is the idea that he's just this guy who happens. It's it's kind of like the flip side to to what Richard said there about the idea of like movements looking for leaders and looking for guidance and not really caring about what that guidance is. Um, and like again, not to, not to draw too many parallels to the modern world, I'm reminded of some observation that was made about like the current, like the alt-right, for example, where it's this leaderless movement, but seems so desperate for leaders that it latches on and kind of invents them. It manifests them out of nothing because they need them rather than like following them because they have vision. But the thing that I I kind of latched on to about Brian this time around was the idea that he really kind of has no agency or choice or control over what happens to him. He just gets swept up in events that are kind of like outside of his control. He happens to be born in like the crib next to Jesus in like that wonderful opening sequence where the three wise men like get the get the address wrong basically following That's the star. why this is a Christmas mo- uh, movie, by the way. <laughs> it is indeed. It's why we're covering this on Christmas Eve. Um, and and oh, not by because the way, we had a scheduling snafu how... and Richard stepped in the last minute. Thank you so much, Richard. Um, <laughs> I do need to... I, I have just been kind of... Trying to mix the bread sauce, but the turkey I think is okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I, what What do you What do you What do you What do you think? It is difficult to tell through the thing, and I don't want to open it because then it gets cold. Um, yeah. But and it I, messes up. Have you got one of those? Th- you need a thermometer. I keep telling you, you need a thermometer. You need a. I need thermo- a meat, meat thermometer, thermometer, and I need a meat um, scales, and um, like considering the amount of meat, like. The, the the these things are important. So what do I put the meat thermometer in and and um? This and is why we should have recorded earlier today, Andrew. But I, I with didn't the want thermometer. To... <laughs> why didn't you tell me this before we started? I mean, I mean, you did base the ham in Coca Cola, right? That's what you're supposed to do, and then like wrap the turkey with like streaks of bacon and all that it, sort of it, stuff, it, right? It, right? It, it no, I I uh, it's the uh, beer can uh, uh, turkey. Is where where okay. where 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 you put like a, a have 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 you done this before, Darren? Where 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 you open a beer can and um, like say? Well, um, I, I I don't drink. No, but but you're you're you nor 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 does this turkey really? But you <laughs> you 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 put you 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 kind of like push it down onto the cavity like it, it um, i guess that's i don't know what end it is whether it's going into the turkey's neck or whether it's going into the the turkey's cloaca 
but it, it, the, the, the beer can like stands up and so does the turkey. And as it heats up, the beer kind of comes out of the, um, the, can. the, 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 the can okay. and kind of keeps it moist. I, apologies to our vegetarian and vegan listeners who've just been traumatized by 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 that description. You can do it with a tofurkey, I think. To be fair, I, I do like that every year you learn something new. Uh, Christmas cooking on the two fifty, albeit probably too late to help you out this Christmas. I think, like, I remember a couple of years ago uh, when we did like Gone with the Wind or whatever. I think we had like uh, Grace Duffy and Rena Gregor both give us vegetable log suggestions. So I do like the idea that, you know, you come away from the podcast with a, a little festive treat ready to cook. I do have a recommendation that I think I made last year that I'm going to make again, uh, food-wise. <laughs> um, okay, okay. But coming back to the, the actual movie we're supposed to be discussing, <laughs> Andrew sighs disappointedly as he closes the oven and wanders back <laughs> towards the podcast. I do unironically uh, love that The Life of Brian is... This kind of interesting character story at its core, underneath all the jokes, underneath the central gag, underneath the central premise. It is the story of like this this young man who lives a perfectly ordinary life, just happens to be born in the right place that puts him like next to arguably the most important person in human history, who gets kind of swept up in all this stuff, who like, you know, joins a political movement in order to impress a girl. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, Andrew mentioned there is a sense of like, well, I'm angry at my uh, my dad as well as part of this as well. But it's very much like... Yeah, it's like, you're not my dad. Well, look, I want to join this movement because there's a cute girl in there. Again, that very teenage fascination, that, you know, that very teenage boy sensibility of the movie, where, you know, from Brian's point of view, this is the story of how Brian fell in love and how Brian lost his virginity. And that's all that he's aspiring to, but ends up getting kind of swept up in this big, epic sweep of historical events where it's like, to impress this girl, I'll become a, a, a vandal. And if, if that doesn't work, I'll end up like joining this kidnapping squad. And, you know, I end up being martyred for the cause. It ends up escalating to that extent. And I mean, like the, the celebration of like the ordinariness of Brian. And again, that, that plays through in any, any number of ways. And look, we haven't really talked about the opening sequences, which is very obviously like a Terry Gilliam thing. It's like, it's again, those Monty Python animations that we expect, expect. it's kind of, but it's set to this big stirring song, um, which was like written by, I believe, by Michael Palin rather than Eric Idle. Uh, but it is, you know, it's kind of performed by a 16-year-old Sonia Jones, but in the style of like Shirley Bassey. It's a sequence that is meant to like evoke the opening sequences of a Bond movie. But the central joke is that like Brian isn't James Bond. He isn't a suave secret agent. He isn't a great man of history or anything like that. He doesn't have this arc of history that bends towards or away from him. He's just an ordinary guy. And the like the lyrics go through how ordinary and how mundane his life is. Like he starts masturbating. He becomes interested in girls hair starts appearing on his body and the idea that he's just he's basically just a kid i know he's played by graham chapman but he does really seem like he's just a teenager and again that, that kind of like the the political charge of it where the pythons are like nobody cares about this kid it's very obvious like his mother doesn't care for him at all for example it, it's quite apparent that you know reg is just happy to exploit him he, reg has no real interest in brian as a person either the idea that he ends up kind of you know on the on the crucifix because of the whole joke around biggest dickus and Pontius Pilate being unable to pronounce his name. Like this whole thing where his life ends up being completely derailed and completely exploded 
through no fault of his own, through no choice of his own, through no decision that he actively makes beyond the fact that he's a teenage boy who likes a really beautiful girl and decides to join a political movement to impress her. And I guess that's like a nice dovetail into talking about the other Terry Gilliam scene, which is yes. the sequence where like he jumps off the top of a tower and ends up becoming embroiled in what's presumably some sort of alien, you know, science fiction civil war thing that ends up just getting him to the bottom of the tower, which is a good joke. It's just a nice incongruous like moment in this movie. And the hilarity comes from the absurd contrast of the science fiction with the biblical setting. But it also kind of works thematically because Again, he's rendered as a passenger. And, you know, I love that it's like, well, you know, also the fact that Star Wars came out two years earlier and Alien <laughs> is coming out the same year as well. So but it feels science fiction's big right now. We should probably have a science fiction uh, sequence. It feels very Monty Python, yes. in a sense. It's basically like, I'm sure Terry Gilliam always wanted one of the characters to actually fall into one of his cartoons. <laughs> and when when is... when and when they have a movie that they can make, that means that like oh yeah, I've always wanted to, like you know those kind of like um, those animated bits in between the um, yeah, the, the sketches. sketches. I I would like if instead of becoming like um, uh, a paper and falling down a hole, and then I animate you in like two dimension. Um, I would prefer for it to for for you to essentially ent- enter a cartoon, um, which is what happens. Like that's that's the whole thing. Is that thing was whole? That thing was basically left to Gil. And again, same thing happens with um, Meaning of Life as well, where the Meaning of Life opens with I think a fifteen minute short film, which is is it like uh, the Primson Assurance Co- uh, Corporation? Yeah, it's fun um, to charter an accountant and sail <laughs> the wide accountancy. Accountancy, but that that. That short happened as a way to give Gilliam something to do. Like it was literally just, well, look, we're all doing our stuff. We should give Gilliam something to do. And it kept growing. It was originally meant to be like a five minute short. It ends up being 15 minutes long. Oh, that doesn't sound like Gilliam. <laughs> because nobody told him to stop. Um, which is Sometimes a, again, people a very... do tell him to stop. <laughs> and then he like... goes away for several years and fundraises. Yeah, he's, he's like, well... I guess I guess movies about La Mancha are just cursed, right? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. <laughs> it could be something to do with like your sense of like the scope of things. Um, I don't know. Um, that's a low blow, actually. I'm sure, like, um, that's maybe that's maybe. Um, it, but that that's what happened here, where it was like they needed to get Brian out of the tower, and they're like, "Is ah, it we'll fair?" Come up with something um, that that. That like because of how creative Terry Gilliam is, what? is um, that his projects sometimes become a little larger than they were meant to, um, in terms of like uh, budget and time and all those sorts of things. I'll defer to Richard on that. Actually, sorry if, if Richard wants to talk a little bit about Gilliam. I love that we're working our way through the Pythons. <laughs> I I admire <laughs> the ambition for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely like can't fault him for dreaming big you know even though there's not really like much of a a market anymore for for his films which is kind of a uh a shame but yeah i mean i'm I'm always for like filmmakers going as big as they possibly can uh, 
So I definitely think that's an that's an admirable quality, and I feel like he wouldn't be Terry Gilliam unless he was going like no full Buck Wild, you know. And, with, and I think with, when it works, it does. Like I think like Brazil is one of my favorite movies ever made. Like, and it's because of Gilliam's uncompromising style. I think. And I, I, th- I think he he kind of has that sort of um, Spike Jones and kind of. Um... Uh, what's the other guy um, also did music videos? Um, David Fincher? No, no. Um, and Mark Romanek? Uh, ba, 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 um, A lot of people did music videos. Um, not Charlie Kaufman, um, but um, oh, Eternal um, Sunshine. Oh, Michel Gondry. Michel Gondry. That sort of thing of, of being a very kind of tactile, like, uh, uh, like visually interesting kind of filmmaker. Um, they haven't really, or at least it doesn't feel like they've made a a, a flawless kind of transition into um, computer generated effects into the digital age. Yeah, yeah. Where somebody somebody like Robert Zemeckis gets to make movies all the time, <laughs> so like because he's so comfortable making movies the way they want to make movies which is kind of like what he wants to be doing anyway. I, I mean, I do think there is also a sense of like, he made Back to the Future and he made Forrest Gump. And sure. they're like, one of these days he's going to do it again. Yeah, yeah. I think it, that's it, the logic behind Zemeckis getting the checks that he does. I think so. But, uh, but I, I feel like Michel Gondry should have enough. I mean, I've seen some... That Gail Garcia Bernal one was a little bit too... The Science uh, of Sleep? The Science of Sleep. That, that was kind of... I, I feel like nobody said no there and that it, it was it was just a little bit kind of um it lacked some of the guardrails i guess of eternal sunshine of spotless mind which is an incredibly creative movie but it's also like it knows what it's about and it's really kind of um you know efficient um storytelling and filmmaking it feels but like. it's also caught between three authors because it's a kaufman script and you've got jim carrey starring in it as well hey, that's the thing is is that like oftentimes when when there are these creative collaborations you're like this guy michelle gondry is fantastic and indeed he is but it's like i can't wait to see more of his stuff and then he does something <laughs> i guess without charlie kaufman and and it's and and you're 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 left kind of wondering like how much of that was Charlie Kaufman and how much of it was Michelle Gondry. And then Charlie Kaufman yeah. goes and does his own thing too. <laughs> and, and, and you're left thinking, oh, it, it was the two of them together. <laughs> you know, take, it, it, take that. I'm thinking of ending things. I apparently. like I'm thinking of ending things. But what, what, what I mean is that <laughs> movies like The Science of Sleep and I'm thinking yeah. of ending things are just not quite as... Um, as uh, They don't have the same electric... Yeah, they don't as, unite audiences the way that Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind does. Nor, 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 nor for that mind, something like being John Malkovich. So yeah. um, you, you take Spike Jones and uh, he, he, he makes a movie without Charlie Kaufman. I think Be Kind Rewind probably did, did quite well. But anyway, sorry, we've gone on a bit of a tangent. Well, don't worry, I'm going to get us back. So what you're saying is what real, what's really important is a group of people who work together collectively yes. <laughs> are better than they are separately or individually. Almost like the band of, say, Monty Python, for example, who are working on this movie where everybody brings their own unique energy. Everybody contributes their own thing. Everybody is responsible for particular sequences. Um, so, for example, we mentioned Gilliam did like the space abduction sequence, which is very Gilliam. Obviously, Idol writes the song that sees the movie out, for example. Um, you have things yeah. like... Uh, the s- wrote Spamalot. Yeah, he did write Spamalot. Like, he's the, the, the richest Python. Yes, yes, he is. Um, and he's talked about how, like... 
everybody thought it would fail. Like the, the, the Pythons, after they broke up, they informally agreed among themselves that they all need to agree on any attempt to merchandise the Python name. So yeah. he had to go to all the Pythons and get them to agree to let him make spam a lot. And he said, like, look, they were all kind of like, they were like just waiting for it to fail because it's a <laughs> it's a musical and they are absurdly expensive. And part of them, like, I know for a fact that several of them were like, there's no way this is going to work, but it's going to be hilarious to watch it fail. Um, and it's like, no, guess, guess who was right? The great thing about like Monty Python is that everybody involved has the massive ego of like one of the greatest comedians who ever lived. Um, and like, it's really interesting when you listen to them talk about each other, where they'll be, they'll say things that are kind of, kind of compliments, but also kind of not compliments, where they'll talk about how demanding each of their co-workers was. Or like Gilliam will say, I, I have better things to do with my life than to convince John Cleese to wear a fake beard. And you're like, <laughs> I don't know if these people actually like each other, which is an interesting kind of tension. Um, but Richard, is there anything else you want to talk about the movie that we haven't talked about already? Well, they, they never oh. really worked together, can I say? Like, they, they generally worked in pairs. Yeah, they worked in teams, as we said. Like, so it's Chapman and Cleese were one team. Um, it was Palin and Jones were a second team. Idle wrote monologues and wrote songs, and Gilliam just did did his own thing off in the corner. Um, yeah, so like, it's it, like like they they did it in such a way that they didn't have to stand each other. <laughs> you know, well, they they, in... they were very critical of each other. Was the thing like that's like um there there's only one improvised scene in this movie. Um, and that's because Cleese is such a stickler. Cleese was such a traditionalist in terms of comedy. There's only one scene in this movie that involved heavy improvisation. And that is the scene with the crucifixes, with Eric Idle and with Michael Palin. The bit where he says, oh, I'm not here for a crucifixion. Um, sorry, wrong cue. Um, that <laughs> bit was apparently like a gag that they improvised on the day. And it's apparently Palin's favorite joke in the movie and his favorite character <laughs> is the Roman the that, Roman centurion who is just so happy. That's a great show. Yeah. Who's just so happy that this guy doesn't have to be crucified. And then it's like, okay, well, you out the door on the left. Um, I don't really have anything else um, to add. I think you guys you guys hit on all the, the points that I was kind of thinking about. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you could have expressed them so much better. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. Uh, myself and Andrew bickering. I feel like you guys, I feel like you guys have, like, the the experience, like, having grown up with this. Like, I feel like... And, like, just, like, it being, like, you know, humor from, from the UK. Like, I, th- I find that very interesting. I've, I've been just been interesting kind of just, like, listening to you guys' perspective on that. We should be very clear. <laughs> we are not experts. <laughs> not, yeah, I know Richard never said we were from the UK. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's what you're being clear about. <laughs> no, it's so funny. Like it's like um, I think there's other examples of it. Like where 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 they're like. To to be clear, Richard, you you never said um, to um, it's so good hearing from two people who are from the UK. Um, but like, um, I do. Do you have that problem as well, Darren? Where everyone says like, "Oh yeah," because you know about the UK. It's like I'm not from the UK. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, people just assume I'm American, so I, I avoid I right, that yeah. problem completely. You you don't um, get your hackles up. <laughs> Where you have to immediately specify that we are from, that we're from Ireland. I'm Irish. Um, I'm Irish. I'm Irish. There, it was, there, <laughs> there was, there, Richard, do you remember that interview with um, Samuel L. Jackson? Oh, sorry. When, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where where he's been, 
he's been asked like, oh, um, and and how was it working with Colin Farrell? He's one of ours. And he's like, no, I think he's Irish. <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah, but like we claim him as well. And it's like, oh yeah, you like to claim things, don't you? <laughs> we have that over here too. And yeah, anyway. Um, but um, all right, just very quickly then before we go, the only other thing I have in the notes that's kind of worth mentioning is the idea that in the cultural context of the late 70s, early 80s Britain, there was a debate over claiming Jesus Christ and the debate over like what Jesus was and what Jesus was about. And there was a, de- a debate between the political left and the political right in the UK where you had like Thatcher's Bible and Thatcher's Jesus, where Thatcher... In possibly the most Thatcher quote ever famously claimed of Jesus's parable, and I quote, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well, Um, which is like everything I feel you need to know about the like Tories in the 1980s. Uh, Whereas on the other hand, you had, say, Tony Benn, like in his 1979 book, Arguments for Socialism, for grounding Jesus as part of a continuous and specifically British socialist tradition that include like the Peasants' Revolt, the Levellers, Tom Paine, William Blake, etc., etc. So you could argue, and again, Palin himself, of course, Palin is the one who did this in contemporary interviews. The other Pythons were like, no, 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 not political, not religious in any way, shape or form. But Palin would like give interviews in 1980, around the time of the movies like released in the UK, and he'd talk about how, yeah, this is very much, you know, a movie that is about, like, it's comedy in response to Thatcherism. It's comedy in response to the move to the right in, in Britain at the time. And it's kind of fascinating that it, it is that. It's a product of its time, undeniably, but it's also kind of timeless uh, yeah. in ways that we kind of talked about already, which it's, is remarkable. It, and I, I agree in the, the, the kind of the Englishness of it, both, both, both in terms of say like if we want to go back further than kind of um labor and the tories and the lib dems the 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 whole idea of kind of monarchists and 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 republicans Republicans? they 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 both ground um their um arguments oh in in the power of god and where we're in the power of god and that that the 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 the, uh, both god save the queen and uh jerusalem are um British anthems, effectively British yeah, national anthems of two exactly. different kinds. Of, of of two different kinds, because not everyone will sing "God Save the Queen." Um, um, English Republicans uh, who don't believe in the Queen, um, or who don't believe in the monarchy, will 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 sing Jerusalem. Whereas, like, and did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green, and was the Holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? So it it is it is something that's very kind of like in their um, identity, um, and in 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 a kind of a contested way, which is interesting. Um, and we should shout out that Jesus appears here, played by Kenneth Coley, who is Admiral Payet from The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, so a bit of a Star Wars connection there. As Wasn't well. Jesus? It, it was it was an actor playing Jesus. To, to be clear, yes, in case we want to, uh, to make things sacrilegious. Well, again, like, again, it's notable that this is the only Python movie that doesn't really have a fourth wall break, which is interesting. Because obviously, like, the Holy Grail ends with, like, the cops coming in and arresting everybody. And, like, the, the, the uh, was it the, the Meaning of Life has a segment called The End of the Film, uh, like, quite literally. But it's kind of interesting well, that this Well, they do this break the fourth break... wall in the sense that Idol says that you can buy this... Um, album in the foyer. Album in the foyer. So that, that's that's kind of a, a, a late fourth wall break, I guess. Yeah. Um, Actually, right, then, they um... always break the fourth wall at the end. What are we saying? 
the, the all three examples so far were, were at the end of the movie. And it's the end of the podcast. Thank you for getting me this beautiful segue for Christmas, Darren. I, I know. I, I just wrapped it up and everything. You know you're not supposed to open it on Christmas Eve. Although I suppose you can pick one present, and I'm glad you picked Does that Does it one. need batteries? Do I need to charge it? Uh, I think it works out of the box. Um, all right, then. What we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something. Something for listeners. Something they are enjoying at the moment. Something related to the movie. Something unrelated to the movie. Perhaps something Christmassy, I guess. But to give uh, Richard a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, I will recommend a few things. Um, I'll recommend Lee and Herring's um, uh, This Morning with Richard, not Judy. It's um, uh, Stuart Lee and Richard Herring had a show. I've mentioned it before. In fact, I think all of my um, recommendations are, are things that I've recommended before. I don't know how easy... Regifting is perfectly acceptable at Christmas. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. It's been a hard year. (laughs) Inflation means that there are no new recommendations. Exactly, yeah. I I mean, um, Santa Claus is having problems with um, supply chains um, and also, like, um, the the cost of of gas for the reindeers. Um, Um. yeah. By the way, this this movie opened in uh, Norway with the slogan "The movie so hilarious it was banned in Sweden." I didn't have anywhere <laughs> to fit that in, but I quite like that tagline. Sorry. Andrew. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, 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 good. The reason I'm rec- recommending um, uh, Leon Herring's "This Morning" with Richard, not Judy. It's like a, it's a, it's a kind of a parody of um, daytime television, but of also, also like of of uh, it, it was on at the we- weekend, so they'd have Bible stories. Um, I think I spoke about this before where where they would do like the Good Samaritan and Jesus would be telling the story of the Good Samaritan then one of the apostles was like um, oh like but the premise of that story is that we're, you shouldn't trust the Good Samaritan and then he was actually a good Samaritan that, that shouldn't trust the Samaritan and he was actually a good Samaritan but like are you, um, I, I, I disagree with that I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Samaritans <laughs> Like what? What? what the, the, don't don't you think that's the, that's that's kind of like anyway? Sorry. Um, they Richard uh, Herring and Stuart Lee obviously tell um jokes and do sketches better than I do. But um, that is one recommendation. Another thing is um because this is set in Rome. Um, SPQR is um the book by I believe it's Mary Beard. Um, yes. Oh, SP- you recommend this back when we did Gladiator, I think. That's yes. right. So it's um, Senatus uh, Populusque uh, Romanus. And apart, ap- apologies if I've... So, sorry. Senatus Populusque Romanus. Um, so it's 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 the um, the Senate and the people of Rome, where it's the story of the first kind of 1,000 years of, of, the, of Rome and the Roman Empire. Um, and it makes a good read. It's very well written and... Um, uh, I, I believe it includes the birth of Christ as well. Uh, it it goes right up until the point, I forget what Caesar it was, but where they declare all uh, people in the provinces and um, anybody under Roman control is declared a Roman. Um, okay. So it, 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 where, where it includes like, you know, Anatolia and Britain and France and Germany and Spain and so yeah. Brian is a Roman whether he wants to be or not at that point. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if 
Yes, yes, yes. He oh, would it makes be. sense. Yeah, Those yeah. provinces. They, okay. they, because I think at the, they, they, they had like. Um, no, I, I, I think, I think the Holy Land was still, was still a part of that time. They were, they were fighting a wee bit over like kind of parts of Armenia, and um, I think parts of the Balkans and that sort of thing, uh, um, as, as, as well. At that time, I'm not certain. <laughs> I've, I've, I've reached the limit um, of of my competence. Um, and then the 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 food thing that I'd recommend. So I've recommended a book. I've recommended um, what was the first thing again? A TV show that's impossible to watch. Yes, the Richard. Yeah. You'll, you'll probably find some sketches on YouTube, and good luck. Or maybe you'll be able to find a a box set. I'm going to recommend Yata Madalengi's uh, Black Miso Sticky Rice with Brussels sprouts and peanuts recipe. They're in season at the moment. People don't like oh. Brussels sprouts. They're wrong. Yeah. They're great. Okay. Um, okay. This, this, this is like... I, it's a, like a cliche to say that something is like crack. Um, and how would I know what crack is like? But they're, 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 they're amazing. You, you'll, you'll find it on The Guardian... Uh, food website but if you look up um, so it's rice and so it's sticky rice, rice. sticky uh, sticky black rice now I, I I've never used uh, black rice for this recipe I always just kind of use um, some other kind of short grain um, rice or something like even jasmine will do perfectly well but um, it's sticky rice with sprouts Brussels sprouts and and, and, and and peanuts and it's got those kind of crispy onions and chilies and, and 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 lots of good stuff it it, it has kind of um yeah no it's 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 delicious it's really crispy and kind of moorish it's very umami is i i think what people say because it, it's got the miso in it um ah. no it uh, you might need to register for the guardian in order to read oh it. to get the recipe uh, but but uh get behind the paywall yeah i don't know if we're if we're um uh, breaking any rules by putting some sort of permalink in our show notes but um yeah yeah that that's um that's where well, we can put the link in whatever listeners choose or choose not to do with exactly you can support the guardian you can register for free um uh what do they say um opinion a comment is free. Facts are um, not free. Expensive. <laughs> Expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is delicious, and that is a fact. Um, so yeah, go, 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 go on to the Guardian. Smooth, Andrew. Smooth. <laughs> so, so Richard, that, what that's what the Guardian say. This, the, 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 okay. That's like their motto: comment is free. Uh, I, I, I know, I know, but it's also the fact that you're like, the, the rice is tasty and that is a fact. <laughs> now pay me. Um, but, um, sorry, Richard, follow that. Richard, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, I'm going to recommend a, a Christmas movie uh, that I really enjoyed. Uh, it's called Deadly Games. Uh, it's a French movie, also known as uh, 3615 Code Pierre Noel. Um, and it's, so it's about, uh, a young boy defending himself from a, a serial killer dressed as, as Santa Claus on Christmas. Um, and it's just, it's a very like stylish, very cool movie. Uh, it came out in 1989. So it actually, um, preceded Home Alone, uh, by a couple years. And there was a, there was a lawsuit involved actually when really? Home Alone came out. 
um, because of certain similarities. But this is like it's it's definitely like a hard R like version. It's not okay. a it's not a family film. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> but, put the kids um, to bed tomorrow night and then sit down. Yeah, but it, it's it's really fun. It like it was like impossible to find for a very long time. Um, so it just started streaming on Shutter within past couple years and then there's a a blu-ray um available now from from vinegar syndrome but it was one of those uh one of those like lost gems but uh yeah it's just like it's it has a very like cool style and and vibe um but yeah i think it's it's an underrated christmas movie uh the the director is uh renee manzor Uh, this is the only thing that I've, i've seen from him but uh definitely worth checking out it's called uh deadly games Deadly Games. And it is on Shudder, I think you said at the moment, is it? Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Shudder slowly developing into our favorite. We need to get Shudder. We can get Shudder. I don't know if it's on there, but I think I, like, I think the, the US and yeah. the UK slash Ireland, Darren says very firmly, so as not to provoke <laughs> Andrew, um, have very different uh, rights issues. Um, because we are one market. Um, for yeah, the we, of this. I, I used to work for Hilton UK and Ireland. And it was called Hookie. And Andrew never let them forget. Yeah, but... It, <laughs> and Ireland. <laughs> um, but we never say UKI. Um, that that no. hasn't caught on. We would have to, we, no. we, we, we would have to put IUK, I guess. <laughs> just um, to be clear. Just so my, everybody understands. My, yeah. mother gets, my mother gets pissed off when people say British Isles. She says, oh, you must mean the Irish Isles. <laughs> <thing. laughs> but they did try to get that to catch on a couple of years ago. I thought that was like one of the attempts at a, a, you know, to de-escalate that sort of discussion. It was, oh, we're just part of the British Isles. Right. Um, yeah. I just call it Ireland and the UK. It's not difficult. Um, and I, I, I do. I do apologize. For no, that. no, no, Jesus. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and like, just to be clear, Richard, you didn't actually say anything say wrong. Anything to be wrong. clear, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, Andrew just felt the need to clarify anyway. Um, <laughs> just, just to be clear, um, the, the, there was a, if there was somebody who crossed the line in this conversation, it was not you. Uh, <laughs> Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Passive aggressive, the best way to do things on a Christmas Eve. Um, in terms of recommendations for myself, a Christmas movie I rewatched recently. Um yep, smooth segue. Um, is Eyes Wide Shut. Uh which I have Yeah, well I mean Christmas about family like that. Oh, did we lose you, Andrew? I think we lost Andrew. Oh no, no, sorry, I'm back. I'm back. You can hear me Okay. okay? We can now, yep, sorry. Christmas is about family and about possibly having affairs um, and about strange <laughs> sex parties. Um, it's got all the classic Christmasy stuff. It's got lots of red. Every scene in the movie has a Christmas tree. It's about crass commercialism. There's a sense of emptiness inside. It is you know, one of my favorite Christmas movies right up there with, say, Batman Returns, another weird, horny Christmas movie. So I would recommend a double feature of Batman Returns and Eyes Wide Shut if you're looking for an unconventional uh, Christmas duology this evening. Um all right, so Richard, where can we find you? What yeah, where are you up to? I am um on Twitter, uh for now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Already dated I, by the time this podcast comes out. <laughs> uh, at, at Richard L. Newby, uh if it still exists. Yeah. <laughs> when 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 people hear you say that you're on Twitter, they're gonna immediately be like, Oh my god, he's one of those people who's on Twitter. Like <laughs> 
Oh no no! This was recorded. Uh, he even has in a advance. blue tick next to his name. He's paid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> he's one of those assholes who pays for a blue tick. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I think more people are going to ask for blue ticks to be taken away. Yeah, yeah. My 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 blue check is is authentic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually I've actually I've actually thought about that because it's like I don't want people to think that I paid for this. <laughs> But that's it. Like now, and again, sorry, this is dating the podcast um, because (laughs) this thing is going to change in the next couple of hours. At the moment, you can click on the tick and you can see if somebody paid for it or didn't pay for it, I think is the way it works. Like right now, as of like five hours ago and presumably for the next five hours until the godhead (laughs) of Twitter has another idea. Um, But like, yeah, so, so, but Richard is, I can, I can vouch at time of recording, somebody who has a blue tick for actually knowing what he's talking about. Um. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And so um, my work uh, can be found at uh, Hollywood Reporter, uh, Fangoria, Vulture, AV Club, and Inverse. Um, I also have a collection of horror short stories called We Make Monsters Here, uh, which is available on Amazon. Uh, Yeah. That's about nice. it. Perfect. Uh, fantastic. You can follow the podcast. We're at, at we are at the two fifty um, at Twitter. And if we do have a blue tick, it's probably because we paid for it. What do we want for Christmas, Darren? We want people to rate, review, and subscribe. I think. <laughs> what do we want for Christmas this year? A five star rating. To rate, um, review would be, and subscribe. It would it would make our day. Like, um, cause and they, tomorrow is that, Christmas. That is what Christmas is all about. It's about yeah, five star iTunes ratings reviewing. on on like your your chosen um, podcast platform. Um, but once you've done that, also go on another, like, um, <laughs> go on all the platforms and rate us number five. Like, they'll, they'll, they'll fill, fill our stockings um, and have a happy Christmas. Yes, I would, I would emphasize that last part would be my, where I place the most important part of that message. We want, we, um, Darren, the stupid Michael Palin of this podcast, whereas Andrew's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we want our Christmas, we, we want our listeners to praise us online and also have a nice time. <laughs> um, and both of those are equally important to us, apparently. Um, Darren says, reading from the sheet that has been placed in front of him. Yeah. Uh, what I would, um, we are available on Stitcher and SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts can be found. Uh, we'll be back next week, uh, where obviously this week in the States, uh, Damien Ch- Chazelle's Babylon is being released. So next weekend, the fantastic Richard Drum will be joining us to talk about Chazelle's breakout film, that is 2014's Whiplash. Uh, we're looking to drum up some excitement for that. But uh, we'll we'll talk to you then. But thank you so much, Richard. Thank you for taking the time. It has been a, a real pleasure. For sure. Thank you guys for having me. This was, this so was a fun conversation. Perfect. All right. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye.